Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. This is the Greenbar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldsmith swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Greenbar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Billiken win! Billiken win! Now, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. Hey, welcome. I love hearing that weather forecast. Spring is coming. This is the last weekend that you will have to endure without Cardinal baseball until hopefully November when the Cardinals take home their 12th world championship. That's the goal. They march down market street. It's going to be a lot to get there, but who knows who's going to be the next to throw a parade down market street. I don't know, but uh, that could be interesting to see how the Cardinals perform, how city performs. The blues are knocking on the door of the playoffs. I do want to start on a solemn note. And speaking of parades and celebrations, uh, give our hearts and love and prayers to Kansas City. What a very difficult thing they went through this past week with the Chiefs parade and the shooting that took place and all those children that had to be rushed to the hospital and the very uh, tragic situation in which a woman in our industry, a radio DJ in that area, uh, died in the shooting. And just thinking about everybody in Kansas City, some of whom listen to this show, uh, just to St. Louis people who've been transplanted to Kansas City and people in mid-Missouri who went over to Kansas City. A lot of Chiefs fans in our audience. So we here on Sports on a Sunday Morning, we do talk about the Chiefs and the NFL a lot, but this is a human story in which uh, it happened in the state of Missouri. If it had happened anywhere, we would say the same thing, that we are thinking about you, our hearts are with you, and yes, the world needs to change, and we have to somehow come together all sides of the issue of violence, crime, mental health, guns, everybody uh, needs to, to find a way to work together on this. Now, that said, sporting events are wonderful. Sporting events bring people together. They always have and they always will. And this week is going to be a lot of fun to see all the sports come back together. The Cardinals play on Saturday. They take on the Marlins. They actually, it's a split squad on Saturday. They get right at it. They take on the Marlins at Roger Dean. They take on the Mets at Port St. Port St. Lucie. We're going to have the Marlins game here on KMOX at 12.05 on Saturday. I love saying that. Cardinal baseball coming your way Saturday at 12.05, 11.55 pregame. So they'll preempt our show by five minutes on Sunday when the Cardinals take on the Astros. We'll have that game as well on Sunday the 25th. So this is your last weekend without Cardinal baseball until hopefully November. It's not the only thing going on Saturday. St. Louis City SC will be playing a home game against Real Salt Lake. As a matter of fact, they're going to play a game at home in two days. They are taking on the Houston Dynamo in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Lutz, Fan, and Steel is coming on the show today at 11.15. That's not all. The Blues will be playing the Red Wings at 11 a.m. on Saturday. How about that? 11 a.m. face-off on Saturday to get your day started. And by the way, the Blues play tomorrow at noon. They're taking on the Maple Leafs at Enterprise Center, which means there will be about 
5,000 media members attending that one. Toronto always draws a crowd. And the Maple Leafs and the Blues will play at Enterprise Center at noon tomorrow. Blues lost yesterday to the Preds 5-2. to two. Bad timing on that loss, but I don't feel too bad about the Blues. I think they'll be fine. They seem healthy and they seem consistent. And they seem like they're playing at a pretty good clip. Just ran into a bump yesterday. SLU will play on Saturday as well. That game's going to be on KFTK, our station down the hall here, 97.1, because we will have Cardinal baseball. But SLU will be playing that day against GW. It'll be at Chaffetz Arena. So think about that for a minute. You've got Chaffetz Arena has a basketball game at 2. You have St. Louis City SC at City Park will have a game at 7.30. A lot of people milling about in the city, and pretty soon there will be a day at some point on Clark Street where you're going to have the Cardinals, the Blues, and City all playing at the same time. Oh, by the way, the St. Louis Battlehawks are about to start. They get going March 30th. They'll be playing their first game, and then they come home and play the first game on April 6th at the Dome. So, yeah, we are entering that time of year, a great time of year, where everybody is back. Baseball, soccer, football. We still have college basketball to watch. I know the teams around here, except for Illinois and Southern Illinois, and I'll get to them in a minute. Everybody else has had a a lot of struggles here, but not everybody, but you know what I mean. There are some teams kind of hanging around, but Missouri's been very disappointing. 0-12 in the SEC slew has had a lot of struggles in the A-10. But college basketball will be rocking here for the next month plus. Everybody gets into March Madness. You have Arch Madness coming to Enterprise Center. The Missouri Valley Conference will be here March 7th through the 10th, so Enterprise Center will be going. And I know I'm probably leaving something out, but it is on, man. I mean, it's fun. I love when spring comes around here in St. Louis. My two favorite times of year in sports are March and October. Those are the two. March, everything starts to roll. And October, you got championships. You got football in full swing, college football, and some sports starting up like college hoops and hockey. And it's just a great time of year, postseason baseball, God willing, here in St. Louis. Good times. Uh, speaking of the Cardinals, I, uh, just a couple of th- thoughts on them. John Mozalek is going to be with us at 1130. I was a little, uh, I don't know how many fans felt this way, but I had a couple of people reach out to me about Derek Gould's story about Nolan Arenado, how Arenado kind of questioned his leadership. And the story was about how he was a little bit afraid, not afraid, but tentative to talk to young players because he wasn't playing well himself. I find that admirable in Arenado to to talk and speak in that way. And I hope that everybody feels the same way about Nolan. Nolan is an exceptional talent. He is one of the greatest third basemen in the history of the game. He is a fantastic player. And one of the great things about Nolan is that he wears his heart on his sleeve. I think it is also one of his very few negatives. I think he wears it too much, and I think it's noticed in the clubhouse that he gets down on himself, but he's a competitor, man. I mean, this is how he is wired. He is wired to compete, and when it doesn't go well, you see it in his face. Probably wouldn't be the best poker player in the world. Goldschmidt would be a great one. Arenado, not so much. When when things aren't going his way, you can see it in his face and in his actions, but, man, is he an exceptional player. And I love that he steps up, and the first thing he says in spring training is not about anything other than moving forward. He said, I apologize not to be rude, but I don't want to talk about what happened last year. I want to look at how I can be better. I need to be better in this area, this area, this area. And he pointed them all out. 
And I love that he talked about leadership, and he admitted he's not the best when it comes to being a vocal leader. Goldschmidt's not the most vocal either, but Goldschmidt, the way that he carries himself, is a good influence on Arenado, that you don't always have to be playing going four for four and making dazzling plays to tell younger players how to get the job done. Hey, look at Matt Carpenter. I mean, his skills have diminished. He's basically the 26th man. He's hitting, what, a buck 80? He may come out there and hit a few bombs here and there, but he's really on this team to help guide people along. Uh, Adam Wainwright last year was not pitching well all year, but uh, an influence on people that they will be able to carry for years to come. So you want to have guys like that, and Arenado hopefully – will hold himself accountable and be more of that. But I like when players speak their mind, when they say things to reporters, and those reporters put those stories out there. And I hope that everybody gives Arenado the benefit of the doubt on that, that you know, there's nothing wrong with Arenado. There's nothing wrong with the Cardinals' leadership. It really is all about winning. I remember talking to David Eckstein after the 2006 season. And Eckstein played, by the way, with busted ribs, and it was unbelievable what what kind of a battler he was. But how the clubhouse was not great down the stretch in 06, and then everything just sort of clicked in when they realized they were healthy and they went on to win the world championship in 06. And he was like, well, yeah, the clubhouse wasn't good because we were losing. He said it sucks to lose. But when we started winning, yeah, everything comes together. Everyone's smiling and firing on all cylinders, and we won the world championship. Winning cures everything. And if the Cardinals just go out and produce, play ball, don't worry about all this other stuff, all everything else will, will come together. Leaders will stand out, hold each other accountable. It won't be as magnified. You can just go out and play, and, and they're going to have to play really well to win this NL Central. But I do like this Cardinals team. I think there are many questions about them, and that's fair. It's how it should be around here. We should hold this team to the highest standard, and if they need to make a move at the trade deadline, they need to do that to get themselves in better position to win. you got to hope that it doesn't have a repeat of last year. Last year was an absolute mess. The, game, the season was over in June. Can't let that happen again. I think they are better equipped with this rotation to at least keep this boat from sinking and – Perhaps the bullpen can be better because they have a shorter window to work and the offense doesn't have as much pressure on it because the starters go deeper. I think the defense will be improved. This should be a good baseball team. Not the best team in the National League on paper, but the best team in the National League on paper doesn't always win the world championship. Sometimes the Arizona Diamondbacks get in there. Sometimes the 06 and the 11 Cardinals get in there. It's a good baseball team, and we'll see how they move forward. Talk to John Mosaylock about it at 11.30 here on Sports on a Sunday morning. And the other thing that happened last night that I did not anticipate talking about this morning, Drew, was the slam dunk contest last night. Now, I don't really – I was calling the women's game, so I watched it on replay, and I came home, and I watched Mac McClung win. If you don't know who Mac McClung is, he's a G League player. And that's my point, is that a lot of people were – down on the dunk contest and they think they should scrap the contest and the contest isn't exciting anymore. And I I put out a video of Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins going at it in 88 in Chicago. 85 was the first time that Jordan won. That was in Indianapolis. 86 was Spud Webb. 87 was Neek. And then 88 was the showdown in Chicago. Jordan comes home, wins the dunk contest. And I said, this is a dunk contest. I think most people understood where I was going, but there are newer, and Drew, you're a young man. I know you're a younger NBA fan. I don't know where you fall on this, that 
kind of treated it like I was putting out a video from the 1940s. Like these are old players and everybody can do those things. Everyone can dunk from the free throw line, I was told. Everybody can do the kiss the rim from down the baseline. Everybody can do the violent dunks that Dominique Wilkins can do. Everybody can do a windmill now. And we've run out of dunks and the dunk contest isn't fun anymore because we've run out of dunks and nobody can do anything innovative. So now they're jumping over Shaq and they're jumping over each other and they're bringing out props and trying to do... The, the the reason why that dunk contest worked and why it's one of the greatest ever is you had superstars out there. You had Michael Jordan, the best player in the world. You had the number two scorer in the NBA, Dominique Wilkins. You had a rivalry between the two. It was star power. The lights were bright. It was players dunking in front of a raucous crowd. It was a beautiful show of the best talent in the world going at it. It wasn't about the dunks necessarily. It was about Jordan, Dominique, Larry Nance, you know, Clyde Drexler. And then later on, we had a couple of others. Every once in a while, you get a really good one, like 2016 with Zach Levine. You get some good ones. But most of the time, the best dunk contests had the stars in them. That's why it's not as good in my estimation. You've got a champion. He's great. I mean, he's leaping through the roof. But it doesn't get that much sizzle because he's not even in the league. Mm-hmm. Do you see where I'm going here? Yeah. I mean, even Nate Robinson, still not like giant star, but three-time dunk contest champion. Yeah. Still amazing to see. Blake Griffin. I think it applies just to all sports in general. You know, if it comes to all-star games or any other contest, just keep them. This is my marketing mind moving here. But with all respect to the to the players that are giving it a go in that contest last night, they gave it a shot. And I'm happy that they did because the others don't. But sports are about – People want to see the best of the best do what they do. They want to see the stars. And the attraction of Jordan and Dominique was why that contest worked and why it doesn't work anymore. Um, I, I'm really kind of uh, down on Jay Williams, too, who said on ESPN something along the lines of Caitlin Clark won't be the best. Like, what what is going on on ESPN? What, what are some of the what, – why, why are we overthinking basketball? And how he said that Caitlin Clark won't be considered one of the best players. She's not there yet because she hasn't won a championship. I mean, she's the all she's the all time (laughs) scorer. I don't know. I don't understand what more that by that logic than Dan Marino is not a good quarterback. (laughs) I mean, what? It just doesn't make any sense. It's amazing that somebody would think in that way. That's incredible to me. All right. Just a couple of thoughts across my mind last night that I wanted to share with you. I'm going to take a quick timeout. When I come back, I'm going to give you the top 25 in college basketball. We're going to sort out who are the best teams and who's going to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Top 25, also some local scores. Travis Ford at 1030. 1045 is our Blues breakdown. Lutz Fantasy at 1115. John Mosellock at 1130. Chris Blair from Daytona where it's been rained out for today. They're going to start it up tomorrow afternoon at 3 Central Time. He will be with us back after this. We're about five minutes away from Travis Ford. We'll get into some college basketball scores right now. Drew, what's the chatter out there? What are people saying? So we got one comment here that says... We're uh, streamed, by the way, on all these platforms. So Yes, we're on Instagram, Twitter, every, everywhere. And so somebody says, Kansas hoops are good. They don't get enough credit. Oh, come on. They get all the credit in the world. They're one of the best programs in the country. Come on. You know that. Kansas <laughs> won over Oklahoma 67-57. That's a great win. 
I mean, that's a great win for them in Norman. I know that it was number six against number 25, but everybody knows that OU was frothing at the mouth to beat them, and they were actually up at halftime, and KU came back in a good old big eight battle. You know, that's the way it used to be, Kansas and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Kansas and Oklahoma uh, in the Final Four. I was there at Kemper Arena in 1988. What do you think about that, caller? (laughs) Who was it? R. Klaus 22. That's who that is right there. Yep. Yeah, so I was there. I mean, I've been following Kansas forever. I, I give them credit without a doubt. Right. Uh, that's kind of funny, though. What else do people say? Then we got Kevin Kelly saying, uh, go SC, go Battlehawks. I'll see where the DeWitt birds are on uh, June Okay, 14th. all right. Yeah, I got you. I got you. By the way, Kansas got absolutely trounced at Texas Tech by 29 <laughs> points, 79-50. So let's not, let's not jump out of our shoes here. They haven't won back-to-back games this entire month just to go on the negative. In fact, they haven't won back-to-back games since January 13th and 16th when they beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Since then, they've gone loss, win, loss, win. Oh, they did win. They won, They beat Houston, so there's a back-to-back. Then they lost, won, lost, won. Like, they're, they're <laughs> going back and forth, so let's not, let's not get too excited. But, yeah, the DeWitt birds, I, I know, a little poke there from Kevin. All right. uh, says, go SC, go Battlehawks. All right. And then uh, last one here, uh, they want to know, Elijah wants to know who's pitching on Saturday and what is the pitch count? A good question. I'm going to assume Sonny Gray, but they have not announced that to my knowledge. Um, I would think that he'll get the first look, but it it varies. It depends uh, on what they want to do there. He did throw BP today, live BP. All went well. By all accounts, I saw some good video from our Matt Pauly on his Twitter page that was retweeted by KMOX Sports. And I would think that the pitch count wouldn't be any more than, you know, 35 or 40 maybe. You know, just a couple innings. Get out there at at most uh, and uh, see what you can do. Maybe two innings. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Things out of gray. At, at most, maybe 30 pitches. Uh, top 25 college basketball before we go to Travis Ford. Number one team in the nation, UConn, beat number four Marquette, 81-53. That is an absolute stomping by UConn, who has been the number one team for a while, and my clear number one. I don't think anybody is close to them, and they showed why yesterday. The way that they cut, the way that they move without the ball, the play of their big man, they have everything right now. That's Donovan Klingon. He had 17 points and 10 rebounds, and he was actually better than those numbers. That's a good UConn team. My top four seeds right now are UConn, Purdue, Houston, and Arizona. Marquette should not be considered a number one seed, although I think they could surprise once they get to the tournament. But Arizona should be number one in the West. Uh, Houston, Purdue, and UConn should round that out. Purdue in the Midwest and UConn in the East, with Houston also as a number one. That's how I would do that. Houston beat Texas 82-61. Number five team, Arizona, will play Arizona State on Thursday. Um... Arizona is a heck of a team. I mean, I, I'm I'm on the Arizona bandwagon right now. Uh, they won yesterday over Arizona State. You ready for this score? One hundred five to sixty. 
I mean, it's just an, it's a ridiculously good team right now. That's their rival, too. I know they were supposed to pound them, but they, they absolutely did. North Carolina is definitely a team to watch behind Kansas. Kansas is six, Carolina seven. North Carolina is playing really well. They beat Virginia Tech 96-81, so they're starting to come alive. I think the team to watch in this entire tournament will be Tennessee. Tennessee is absolutely legit. They have size. They have speed. They have a great coach in Rick Barnes. They blistered Vanderbilt. 88-53. Duke, I don't totally trust them. I think they're tough. I don't know how tough they are. We'll find out. Uh, they beat Florida State 76-67. Iowa State's number 10. They're good. They beat Texas Tech 82-74. Uh, South Carolina, number 11, got beat by LSU 64-63. Baylor over West Virginia 94-81. Kentucky beating Auburn. I mean, going into Bruce Pearl's house and putting a little beating on him was pretty Incredible if you're a Kentucky fan. 70 to 59, they beat Auburn yesterday. So Kentucky really clamping down defensively, held Auburn to 31% shooting. Number 14 team in the nation is Illinois. Nice win at Maryland, 85 80, on a day when the Maryland community remembered Lefty Drizel, the legendary coach. Alabama won, so did Dayton and Creighton. They're the 15, 16, 17 teams in the country. BYU lost Oklahoma State. Wisconsin lost to Iowa. Uh, Virginia won. They're number 21 in the nation. Then the number 23 team, Indiana State. Oh, no. Somebody mentioned on Twitter last week that I was the kiss of death because I was talking up Indiana State on this show, and they lost to Illinois State. I didn't know that I had that kind of power until SIU beat them. I expected Southern Illinois to beat Indiana State, 74-69 in Carbondale yesterday. That Southern Illinois team's really good. Uh, they have... Brian Mullins having them play at a very intense level, and that's a huge win over a ranked team at home. The Valley's going to be interesting here now uh, with Indiana State losing back-to-back games and Drake starting to flex their muscle a little bit. They're going to play today. Drake will have a game at home against Murray State, and they are currently a half game. They need a win. They'll tie Indiana State at the top of those standings. When we come back from the Atlantic 10, it's St. Louis University coach, Travis Ford on KMOX. Billiken Report with Travis Ford, sponsored by Royal Banks of Missouri. It's a live visit with the coach. Good morning, coach. How are you? Good morning, Tom. Doing good, thank you. Uh, I had the game last night. Duquesne beat SLU, the women's team, 82-65. I know as a SLU broadcaster, I'm supposed to be pulling for the Billikens all the time, and I was fascinated with Duquesne's guard, Megan McConnell. Um, You know, when it comes to basketball, I always – love players who are cool under pressure and this player every time, and they still forced her into five turnovers, which is really high for her. So that's a credit to the slew defense, but don't you just love a guard in your game or in any game for that matter, Travis, who can keep her cool or keep his cool uh, a point, a valuable point guard is unbelievable. I mean, if you have somebody who can control the game, you'll do just about anything to keep them happy and, and keep them moving forward. Yeah, no question. You know, it, it's uh, not that every position's not important, but you know, from uh, a, a, for myself, obviously, I played the point guard position my whole career, um, and you know, um, I, I, I've always found that you know, obviously, you need a point guard that, that has strengths, and there's a lot of different strengths a point guard can have. Uh, you, there's such thing as scoring point guards, there's assist point guards. Uh, but what you really need your point guards to be consistent D- defensively, you need a really good defensive point guard because that starts your defense. They are the head of your defense. That's what the other 
The other four guys are looking at that person to start your defense. No different than they start your offense. Um, you know, but yeah, point guard play is, uh, is is very, very important. No question about it. It sure is. And, and for that matter, looking at your team, I know you've had to rotate through some point guards, and I'm not making an excuse for you necessarily, but uh, and you have improved here offensively over the last few games. Um, but the point guard play, how has that changed your team for the good and for the bad? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's excuses. It's that, you know, we had, you know, we brought in a um, – you know, a, 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 a veteran point guard that, you know, does some really good things at other places than Mike Meadows. And he's just been as injury prone as anybody this year. It's been a tough go for him and he's tried, but, you know, he's been in and out three different periods where he's missed multiple, multiple four to five, six games at a time, three different stretches. So that's, that's been difficult. And then it, you know, obviously falls back on a freshman see on medley who's doing, who's, who's really competing. I mean, he's, 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 you know, really works hard every day. I love his attitude. Uh, you know, it's a lot to ask for a freshman uh, a lot of times uh, who, who was kind of a backup to begin with, but he's done a good job. You know, now that Mike Meadows out, we, you know, Sion can't be the only guy. So Larry Hughes is taking up some of the slack and really like a lot what Larry Hughes is doing. Um, uh, you know, I don't. It's not his natural position, uh, but he's he's really you know accepted that responsibility when he needs to play there. We'll bring him off the ball when Seung, uh is at the point. Uh, but Larry's done a, a a good job there. But uh, you know, uh, it's not his natural spot. And then we've had you know Joel do it a little bit, but it, it's it's been a position for us that's been in flux a lot. Uh, it's been a tough spot just, you know, because of injuries and different uh, and different things. In that game against VCU, they put on a lot of pressure. They do what they can to cause turnovers. You actually committed 10 turnovers, which is a pretty good number. I would think you'd have to be fairly satisfied with this number, but uh, they did shoot the ball well, and they especially shot it from three very well, didn't they? Yeah, you know, we uh... – yeah, you know, we cut down our turnovers after going 22 turnovers at St. Joe's and losing about one. Uh, we cut it down to 10. Uh, and VCU's uh, ranked top five in the country defensively, mm-hmm. top five uh, in most all numbers um, in the country. And, um, and, and we scored. We scored 85 points. Um, we just couldn't stop anybody. Uh, you know, we uh, – they made us pay. Going back, watching the film multiple times, they made us pay every mistake we made. They made a three, and you know some of those you hope they just miss. Uh, they made they really made us pay from three, uh, off our mistakes. And going back, look at it, it was you know uh, two point game with six minutes to go against you know I think a really really good veteran BCU team. We just gave up three spurts throughout the game that were the difference in the game, and these are like five zero spurts, six zero spurts. Uh, dictated by either a bad shot by us or uh, a missed layup by us that, you know, you can cut it to two. Next thing you know, uh, they go down and score. Now it's a six-point game. We miss. They make a three. It's nine. That happened a couple of times. Um, you know, it's just a couple of spurts here and there that hurt us, but our defense was just very, very poor, just didn't have a lot of resistance. Uh, under the seven-minute mark in the, first, uh, in the second half where we had the game, it was back and forth two-point two game, four-point game, uh, we fouled 
way too much under seven minutes to just send them to the free throw line, and they're, they're, they're a really good free throw shooting team. The Billikens' next game will be Wednesday on the road at Duquesne. Speaking of Duquesne, what do the Dukes bring to the table here in the A-10? Yeah, they're a team that I thought preseason uh, you know, would be one of the best teams in our league uh, based on they have everybody returning. Um, you know, and they won 20 games last year, and they pretty much had their uh, five of their top six players back. They got two of the most elite guards in the league, and uh, Day-Day Clark uh, is, is just an elite, elite scorer. He's had multiple games of 30 this year. Uh, he's obviously really, really good, a veteran, a, a fifth-year senior, I believe. I know he's a senior. Uh, then you've got, you know, uh, Clark, who is another high-level scorer, their ones and twos are really, really good. They averaged high double figures last year. Then they've got, you know, some really good big men inside. Um, they got the number one three-point defense uh, in our league. Uh, but just a really veteran, old, physical, very physical. One of the best teams in our league, I think, from scoring inside and outside. They got some guys that could score in the post, and they got some elite three-point shooters. So I really like their team based on experience and everybody they have returning. When you scout a team, not just Duquesne, but in general, do you have to – Do you, I know you're looking at everything, but do you almost immerse yourself like you're one of their coaches? I mean, you're looking at every little detail. You almost become, as I just sort of raved about McConnell, and I hear you talking about their players, you almost become enamored with them. Like you, you get to know them so well so you can explain to your team – just exactly what a gift this player has, what this player has, while also focusing on the negatives that you can attack. Yeah, and, uh, that's a good point, Tom. Very good point. And I'll tell you a step further. Something you know, I've always done, but we've done it with this team. You know, you, I, I, you know, obviously have coaches that are preparing for this game way ahead of time, and I start on it immediately after our last game and watching them. But there's things that teams do that. We'll talk them and learn from. Say, like, look how well this team. Look how they. This is a screen we set, but look how well they did. They do it better. You know, we can learn from this. You know, you can learn from other teams, especially our situation right now, where we're trying to get better defensively. And we've shown our team a lot. Look, look the intensity this team is playing with. Look how they're making multiple efforts. They're sustaining their effort through the whole possession. You get to you. You know, I get to know teams so well that absolutely you. You you know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, and and then you got to put yourself into ours. Like, what are they going to do to us? You know, not only what are we trying to take away from them, what are they going to try to take away from us? And you know, we knew that like VCU was going to try to trap Sincere Parker pretty much everywhere he went, which they did. But we had you know we had worked on it for two days. This is what we're going to do, and it, it you know we were able to handle that. Uh, and he was still able to score, and they were, you know. So we've got to look at not only what we're doing to them, but we got to anticipate what they're doing to us uh, as well. Yeah, a couple of things left for Travis Ford. You mentioned Parker, thirty points. I mean, put in perspective what we are watching here. I mean, a, a player. I know he's focused here and healthy, and but I mean, it's not like he fired up twenty-five, thirty shots. I mean, he did that on ten of sixteen and uh, six of nine from the line. Yeah, you know, you and I have talked about it, Tom. I've talked about it a lot over the last three, four days. When I, you know, I'm not shocked by it. I mean, this is what we we saw all summer. Uh, anybody on our team would tell you that. We saw it as the season started. We were a whole lot healthier, and other guys were playing well, and he was averaging 20, 22 uh, outside of a game he didn't play a whole lot. 
Um, you know, he was averaging a lot of points. So we anticipated that he could score. I mean, that's something we knew. Uh, now, we didn't anticipate he'd be out two and a half months, but we anticipated he could score a lot of points. Um, you know, and now he's going to be drawing a lot of attention. Um, and we've got to be able to handle that. And, you know, we obviously have a plan in place for that. And he's he's done a good job of handling that. Uh, but, you know, I, I get in the office this morning at, um, I think, a little before 7 a.m. Um, and I woke down the high, uh, down the hallway at about 730. He's in the gym <laughs> on his own. Uh, you know, but and he's really been doing that the last two weeks. He and I talked about that a while back. And every day you're my coach. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing what, you know, uh, what you said. You know, I, I, I'm listening and I'm doing it. And he's really getting doing the little things it takes, the little things that outside of practice, outside of, you know, uh, what's required a lot of times uh, that's, I think, really helping him out a lot. That's pretty cool. Uh, last thing is one of the biggest things I thought that happened in basketball last night was this three-point shooting contest between Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu of the New York Liberty. She is the shooter out of WNBA, and he, of course, is the king, uh, the greatest shooter probably ever uh, if yeah. from the NBA. And you, know, you were a great shooter. And still are, I would imagine. You can still knock him down. Yeah. Uh, what do you, yeah. I, I think it's... Spot uh, me up. I'm a, <laughs> as long as I don't have to move a whole lot, spot me up and I'm okay. <laughs> I, just, I just think it's a big development in basketball that you see her doing that against Steph. And he had to really rally to beat her. I, Caitlin Clark has captured the imagination of people. I'm going to see her Thursday in Bloomington. I can't wait. I just find it a very fascinating uh, how they are changing the way we look at basketball, and I think very much for the good. Oh, no question. I was just talking about that days ago. I'd love to see Caitlin Clark play in person. Uh, I, I think it would be very exciting uh, to see that. But I've always said, I've said this forever, I, I think um, – Girl basketball players, women basketball players are better shooter than better shooters than men. Uh, and I knew this contest was coming up, and I wasn't going to be shocked if if Steph Curry got beat. Even though Steph Curry, it's like you said, I think the greatest shooter to ever ever play. Um, just for the fact, I've all you know, men sometimes we we make it too complicated. We try to jump too high. We have too much movement in our shots. I think a lot of time, and and women are more precise and I think girls are really locked into their shooting form and have great great form but I've always said I thought women shoot maybe a little bit better than men a lot of times and uh, got a lot of appreciation for it Uh, but uh, yeah you know obviously women's basketball is really really at an all-time high I believe from college basketball to WNBA whatever it may be and a lot of great players out there. I'm with you. I think women's sports are a really fascinating future in our country as more girls by the thousands are playing and starting new sports every day. So it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. Uh, in the meantime, you are going to Pittsburgh. You're going to be taking on Duquesne on Wednesday. I'm going to hold down the fort at Humphreys tomorrow with Rebecca Tillett. We're going to talk some hoops tomorrow night at 6 and then we will catch up with you real soon. But good luck this week uh, as you continue to battle here in the A-10. Get yourself ready for the postseason tournament. Anything can happen. Absolutely, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Travis Ford, head coach of the Billikens, with us on KMOX, coming up on 1048. When we come back, Blues Breakdown, we'll get into the Blues game against the Preds and a noon game tomorrow against the Maple Leafs. Back in a moment.
Enjoy talking hoops with Travis Ford right there. Also, uh, Lutz Fan and Steel, John Mosellock, Chris Blair, all coming. And Matt Pauley's going to check in now from Jupiter, Florida. He's going to give us the rundown of Sonny Gray's live BP. They were able to get one in on a rainy day down in Florida, so we'll hear from Matt in just a bit. The Blues lost yesterday 5-2 to two to the Nashville Predators. They fall at home in a game that they had 1-1 in the second period. Preds scored at the... Second period intermission, they're up two to one, and then they just ran away with this game five to two. What happened? Drew Bannister in our Blues breakdown, the interim coach. I, I didn't feel like we worked away from the puck quick enough. Uh, I thought we were, you know, when our D were were going back for pucks under pressure, that our forwards weren't working back quick enough to help out, and they'd look up and there there was no one there to make passes to. And you know, <clears throat> I thought in the second period we spent too much time in the D zone because of that. Was their skate, the skating aspect of the game, was it more Just, evident on their side? Or? Well, I think we, it was more evident on our side that we didn't skate. Right. You know, I think that was that was the biggest problem. Uh, you know, we, we weren't skating. Were there opportunities? It seemed like you had some good opportunities on offense, maybe you know, hesitant to shoot at times. Yeah, yeah, no question. I know I mean, we generated 37 shots, but we, we passed up probably, I don't know, five quality chances to shoot the puck. Um, I don't think we got pucks through to the net. I don't think we generated one one shot on net on the five on four. Um, so, you know, you have those opportunities, the two on ones, you know, penalty shot, um, you know, the the three other power plays that we had, and we didn't generate any shots off it. Like that's that comes back to hurt you. Jake just got to do deep on his penalty shot. Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask Jake. I mean, you know, he always has a plan. You know, he has a plan to go in, and usually he's pretty good on those. Uh, those opportunities and, you know, goalie made it safe. All right, we will ask Jake then. That is Drew Bannister. This is Jake Neighbors visiting with reporters after the 5-2 loss. I thought just energy and, um, you know, just compete. And um, I thought the biggest thing was energy, though. Surprising, though, considering it's a team right below you. You can gain some more separation from these guys, and knowing they're going to probably be desperate coming in here after their last couple games. Yeah, I mean, we knew it all, right? Like, we knew they were going to come out with a push, and, um, you know, I thought we weren't bad, honestly, through the first two periods. We had moments, we had flashes, but it wasn't consistent enough, and uh, obviously in the third, they took over. Take us through the penalty shot. What were you looking for? It was pathetic, bad, really bad. Indecisive about what you wanted to do. You, you know, I knew my move. Yeah, I knew my move. I just stuck to it and didn't evaluate at all going down the ice. And it's just, you know, that ties the game. So I got to put a better better effort into scoring that one. You obviously want, you want to take advantage of these games. I don't know how big are these two more coming up before you on the road again. Yeah, obviously got to learn from this one. Uh, watch some video, whatever it is that you got to do, um, and flip the page and, and continue to focus on the next game. And uh, we're going to have to continue to do that down the stretch. It's just one game at a time here and, um, you know, regroup and, and focus on Toronto. Is that game there still for you guys? Like, like you said, you know, first two periods were there and then the game was still there for you in the third period. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were fired up in the room. We were ready. We were excited that we had a chance to go out and, you know, tie the game, maybe win it, um, you know, and, and put together a good push. And, um, you know, a couple penalties and, and whatever it is that you want to call it that take away the momentum from your team and um, just weren't able to fight back. When you guys play connected, you usually are pretty good. You just guys just, the five-man units weren't as connected, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, I thought at times that we were. Um, it just wasn't there for 60 minutes, and, um, you know, they obviously capitalized on their chances, and, you know, we also had a lot of really good looks that we probably could have finished, and their goalie made some un- unreal saves. So, um, you know, the game can swing a lot of ways. That's Jake Neighbors, the Blues, with a 5-2 loss. They are on the ice right now practicing at Centene Community Ice Center. It's a noon start tomorrow against the Maple Leafs. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.